Nate, do we have you? Good evening. It's an honor to have a podcast professional on with an amateur. All right, hold on. Let me mess with my settings here so I can actually hear you. You're good. You're good. Trying to go through like my actual podcast microphone to get better audio quality. That's what I was saying. It's an honor to be on with a podcast professional. I'm, I'm, I'm just a mere amateur. There we go. We got you now? Yeah, it, the problem was delightfully low-tech. I hadn't pushed my headphone jack in all the way because, yes, I have to use an actual headphone jack rather than Bluetooth headphones. The uh, the, headphone, the the microphone that Yahoo has provided me to do podcasts with also requires a headphone jack, so I, uh, I understand. I understand. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Happy to, happy to have you here. Yeah, it's been a while since I did one of these uh, publicly. Uh, excited to interact, get some questions. We've got a bunch in the queue. Um, before we get to all the listener calls, and thank you everyone so far. And if you would like to pop in and talk with Nate Duncan of the Dunk Don Podcast, um, and you are not able to right now, that's because you have not downloaded the app and created an account. So please do so and call in, and we'd love to chat with you. Um, before we get to the calls, I just want to ask you quickly, as a as a keen observer of the league, looking at things through a strict legal legal lens, um, what outside of Toronto, as I, as I also started the, the show with Mark Stein on Friday, because I have talked and we've all talked about the Raptors ad nauseum, and we will. We will inevitably talk about them once we get to the questions. Um, so outside of Toronto, is there a team, is there a specific player that you are looking at um, most intently in how either it will shake the landscape of the league, it could impact the title race. The I'm going to leave this pretty open-ended. So this is something that I've come to after going through and trying to put myself in the position of all these teams for the mock trade deadline episode that we do every year. Of the players that are reasonably thought to be available. Obviously, there are, there could be exceptions to that uh, when moves are made that we don't anticipate. I think Boyan Bogdanovich is a really interesting piece with Detroit. They're making all the noises about how, oh, they're not going to give him up unless it's some um, amazing package, but he is under contract for next year. He's a guy who fits everywhere because of his shooting and not being a complete tire fire on defense. He can at least hold up in a switch enough that it, he's not going to just give up a total blow by. And I think there are a lot of teams out there that could really, really use him to the point where could there be a bidding war and Troy Weaver is going to get what he wants uh, out of this, or do they just hold on to him because there's pressure to improve next year? It kind of seems a shame that a guy having his best season at age 34 would just languish on the Pistons the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I see that. Um, I also see the thought that I definitely know a lot of inquiring teams have in that 
he was available this summer, albeit then an expiring contract and not someone who was extended. Um, and no one gave that first round pick that Detroit's asking for to the Utah Jazz. So clearly that's, that's changed now because I definitely heard in my reporting, I believe it's been reported elsewhere, um, that the Lakers have at least put up a, a protected pick on the table for him. So his value has increased since then, but I just don't know how many teams are actually willing to, outside of the Lakers, are actually willing to put that, that actual pick on the deal, on, on the table. And then the unprotected aspect of it, I, I'm, I'm very skeptical it really does occur. Um, now, maybe the Lakers would unprotect one pick to get to get Bojan. I mean, they were in town here in New York, obviously, um, Monday, Tuesday. And from talking to people on the ground at Barclays and MSG and afterwards, it like certainly seems like Bojan is still kind of the apple of the Lakers' eye of, like, the next move they can do. Like, it doesn't seem like the kind of, uh, uh, you know, big move of moving Russ and two picks for, you know, two massive salaries or one massive salary really is likely, right? I mean, and I, I, I was talking to someone and saying, well, if the Lakers are so set that they really need, like, a mark, uh, just a knockdown marksman, an absolute flame flutter to to stretch, you know, the floor. Especially uh, a laser, as LeBron might call it. Exactly. Like, why not look at someone younger? Why not look at someone like Gary Trent? Obviously, the clutch connections are there. Only 24 years old, I believe. Like, someone who could really be worth investing that draft capital in because of the age and the upside. Um, but, like, the notion for for him with the Lakers – and the notion for him with anybody is really that Bojan is just playoff tested and proven. And like, forget about the league too. Like Croatia national team, Bojan Bogdanovic is one of like the best players in the world every summer, every <laughs> opportunity. So I really do think that the interest in him is going to be legitimate. I just, I still am skeptical that so many teams will be willing to put that unprotected pick on the table. A lot to impact there. Number one, the first thing you talked about, that's come up for me as well. Like, hey, Utah would have moved him for a first instead they settled for Kelly Olenek and relative flotsam. And I think even at that point, people were surprised that that wasn't out there. But Bogdanovich's value has gone up for a number of reasons, right? At age 34, you're like, all right, he's on the downside. Is he really going to play as well as he's played? But no, he's actually having his best season. And while age is certainly a concern going forward. I think you can at least feel like, Hey, this is his level this season. And it's all to me. It's all about this season. I, to, it doesn't make any sense for me for the Lakers to get him. Yeah. I mean, he, he might make you as good as possible this year, but I think still a bigger move is what it's going to take to get them back into contention. I would like to wait until the summer when they can actually trade three first round picks. They can trade the worst of theirs in new Orleans at the draft, and then they can trade 27 and 29, or they could, they would even open up additional swaps in 30 as well, uh, and a swap in 28. So I wouldn't want to get, boy, I mean, yeah, you'd be a little better this year, but they're not going anywhere this year regardless. For me, the teams that should be in on him are the ones where, okay, we are a straight-up championship contender this year. We're get 34-year-old Boyan Bogdanovich could be the piece that pushes us over, so... Bucks, Grizz, those are the two teams that I think should be on him more than, say, a team like the Lakers. Yeah, the Bucks, I certainly have heard, have lofty expectations or lofty hopes of potentially getting him in this 
quest for some added veteran like Jay Cratter, who has clearly stolen the headlines on the Bucks trade pursuits. But with his salary and the Bucks makeup, it, it seems a little bit unlikely they'd be able to get a hold of him. But someone like Robert Covington would be an interesting non Jay Crowder addition who, you know, is far more uh, attainable salary wise. But yeah, I, I think if they could have found a way to get Bowie on, that would have made Milwaukee quite happy. Well, we can, we can talk through that a little bit of, of why that is. I actually was able to acquire him in our mock deadline, but All right, there you go. I was, I was willing to give up Bobby Portis, which the Bucks probably aren't. I'm they are as an organization are much higher on him. I think Portis at that position, particularly if you get Boyan, like you're you're always going to have either Giannis or Brook Lopez on the floor in the playoffs anyway. And so Portis defensively has some limitations. I don't think that he's actually really much better defensively than Boyan is, and Boyan would play a lot of four for them. So I, I think he would be superfluous in that deal. He's a valuable regular season player for the Bucks, but this. This is it. Like, this is their chance. You got Chris Middleton as a free agent. Brooke Lopez, how much longer can he continue to play at this level? How much longer can Drew Holiday continue to play at this level? Not to mention Middleton. So I, I think this is the year to go for it. Now, if they put Grayson Allen and George Hill and Jordan War, they could get there. They run into some roster issues. Maybe they could get back Magruder from Detroit. Maybe a third team would have to be involved at some low level just to take someone on. I think they could do it. Then they also have the tax issues. Like it would take a lot of commitment uh, if they're not going to put Portis in the deal, which I don't think they would. They don't want to put Joe Ingles in it either. So I I don't see it happening. But to me, for Milwaukee, that's the guy because their biggest problem in the playoffs they can't score. That's the like they every single year, even the year that they won the championship, they struggled to score. So I, I think Boyan would be the guy who could really help solve those problems for them. All right, enough Boyan talk. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in um, and calling in. We're going to try to keep everyone limited to one question so we can try to get to everybody. Uh, so if you could do that, that'd be great. And we'll kind of answer your questions. I'll give you some intel that I can, and we'll try to spin it over to Nate and get his expert analysis as always, and we'll just keep it moving. So, Shay, who's in the call queue, if you could take yourself off mute. What's up, What's up man? man? How you doing? Um, thanks for this. Um, my question is, like, as a Warriors fan, have you heard anything about them possibly wanting to make any win now moves because of the, like, latest reporting that Steph would want? He believes it's like a team that can make another move or two to, you know, win the championship. Maybe give up a future first round pick or even Wiseman and Moody, who can't even make our rotation over two way guys. Do you think like? They, they could make a move here? I certainly think they can make a move. Um, they are a team that rival teams want to know what they're going to do. Um, and I think Golden State, from my recent reporting, uh, is definitely more willing, I think, to discuss the, the recent first-round picks and their future picks moving forward. But honestly, the most consistent thing I've heard about Golden State and I think the thing that has the most just likelihood of happening is them making roster moves to be able to convert Anthony Lamb and Tyrone uh, or, or Ty Jerome, excuse me, um, to standard contracts. Um, that's kind of been the prevailing thing so far. Clearly, they they, they have you know other things that they're looking at and, and bigger things that they're looking at, but that's been the most consistent thing I, I've gotten. I mean, Nate, you're obviously. I mean, not obviously to everyone, but you're you're based in the Bay Area. What do you think 
uh, they should be looking to do here. Well, just to address your idea of the roster moves, it's interesting that they've been playing Jermichael Green more after he's been out. This seems like kind of a prove it, you're worth it, or we're just going to dump your salary and to save the roster spot and the tax money at the deadline. Uh, so other than that, you know, it's hard to see who else would be vulnerable, but then they could, when they convert Jerome and Lamb, they would get to their 15 that way if they don't make a move. Um, one of the key things for the Warriors, I, I think there's two things you need to talk about with them. Number one is what do they need? And that guy, that fifth closer who, if they're not going to close with Jordan Poole, because I think they're too vulnerable defensively when they do that. Looney, some matchups you can close with him, other ones maybe not. So who is that stretch for who can defend that and switch a little bit that can play next to Draymond? Lamb has been in that role, but he's probably too inexperienced and not athletic enough. So they could use that player. That's number one. That's one factor number one. That's that would be the obvious target. They got plenty of depth in the backcourt now with Poole and DiVincenzo both coming off the bench. I don't think even someone like Alex Caruso. I don't think they need that player as much anymore. The second thing is matching salary. If you're going to make a deal, who's the matching salary? If Moody makes three seven. He could potentially be moved. Jordan Poole can't really be moved because of the extension that he signed. And then, of course, James Wiseman making 9.6 and perhaps more importantly, 12 million next year. If they were in a situation where they didn't have this huge luxury tax bill, yeah, you hold on to Wiseman, just see what happens to him. But can you pay, you know, 70, 80 million dollars in cash next year to hold on to James Wiseman? Uh, if you also are going to bring back Draymond Green and have Poole on the roster, like it's that becomes tough. So, if they are going to make a larger move, James Wiseman almost has to be the matching salary in that. And so I guess the question that I would have for you, Jake, is you know who fits the description of that type of player that's available for them that also would be matching salary? That's a tough answer to come up with yeah. before you even get into their unwillingness to say, all right, they probably value Wiseman more than the league does. Yeah, well, I think... It's a good question because it also can be spun out more largely in that any team that's looking to buy at a significant level, any team that's looking to aggregate multiple salaries and go get a player that makes, you know, 18 plus, even 25 million, like there just aren't many of those guys that are available right now. Like it's really just John Collins. If, if you like truly available, truly the team is looking like OJ Anobi, you could say, but, I mean, I just – right now at this juncture, I wouldn't say that either Fred VanVleet or OG Ananobi are quote-unquote available. Like, the rappers are listening. But the rappers have told every single team in the league that they're not necessarily making the decision on which direction they're going to go right now. And so many other teams are in the same boat too. I, I just – for, to bring it back to the Warriors, like, if you're going to put Wiseman's salary in a deal – to go get somebody, you also have to think that somebody is so worth moving off this guy that you pick number two overall. And I know there's this conversation being had about, well, maybe it's time to start to devalue where he was picked and to think of where he is now. But um, I, it's 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 just, it's an impossible factor to ignore when you consider how much prevalence, um, you know, the two timeline thing has just kind of been in Golden State. I, I know Warriors people say that. 
that the media makes it out into a bigger thing than they actually think it is. But I don't know. Joe, Lo- Joe Lacob's gone on plenty of podcasts and whatever, saying it's, it's his <laughs> team. You know, so. Yeah, it, it's definitely tough. Now, the fact that they won a championship, uh, that makes you feel a little bit better. Also, Bob Myers' status uh, as well, right? Like, he's he's probably not worried about his, his they're going to fire him because he wasted the number two overall pick necessarily because yeah. everything else has gone too well. And, hey, he might just go somewhere else. Anyway, I, this is one thing I wanted to throw out there real quick. I know we'll speed these up in the future, obviously. But yeah, uh, the one deal I found, uh, this actually wasn't me. This is some of my colleagues in our mock deadline was, James Wiseman into a trade exception in OKC for Kenrich Williams, who's making only $2 million this year. So the Warriors would save, I don't know, $70 million or something like that by making this move. And Williams might be that guy who could be in their closing lineup. Potentially, he's playing really, really well this year. That seems like one in the end that both OKC and Golden State wouldn't end up doing just because they both value and perhaps overvalue those two players, but that's the only one that I've heard that really makes sense. Because the other problem for the Warriors is you, you kind of need a guy who's going to be a free agent this year because then you run into the same salary crunch that you have for next year anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to DJ. DJ with the Lakers logo. I'm expecting a Lakers <laughs> Of course. What's up, Jake? Uh, Nate, big fan, man. Love your podcast. Um, so, yeah, just quick Lakers uh, question: um, If we trade Russ in the two picks instead of getting like Beal or Levine a big contract like that, would it be feasible to get like an OG and Gary Trent for Russ two picks um, for the matching salary to come back? We could, you know, they could add um, Thaddeus Young to that, and that that would equal the money. Um, or would it be? Or are they looking to do like Pat Bev and Lonnie Walker combined make nineteen million dollars with that with another pick? Um, I know in your mock trade, Nate, that you traded uh, OG and I believe it was Gary Trent for uh, – uh, it was to the Sixers for um, Ma- – Maxie and Harris. Yeah. yeah. So so, so, do you think they would rather go that route? Because obviously that, that's better, like, uh, short-term for them, they're the getting Russ and, I don't know, uh, Damian Jones um, and two picks. Or do you think they'd rather take the two picks in the future and kind of – Nate, do you want to take that one? Yeah, it's a really tough call. I, I think Toronto is just a fascinating in general. And again, I, I'll probably drone on too long here, but there's so much to say <laughs> about their situation because all of these pieces go together. You know this, Jake, and you, you just said it earlier. Like Van Vliet and OB, these guys aren't like really available, right? That's that's at least the noise that they're making. So Could in be, theory, right yeah, now. go ahead. That was what were going to say? I just said they could be, but not right now. Yeah, and so what that in theory means is we need to get bowled over by an offer where we can go to both for ourselves and our fans and say, like, hey, we couldn't turn this down. But from my standpoint, Toronto, I don't know how much leverage they actually have because all those four guys, Trent and Van Vliet, their contracts end this year. And Ananobi and even Pascal Siakam, their contracts end next year. And so, yeah, it'd be great. This team's underperformed. Try to turn it around. Keep all these guys. Great idea. But you could end up losing them for nothing. Or, conversely, you end up having to pay them a lot of money. Uh, In the case of Van Vliet, maybe so much that it would be tough to move him afterwards. 
as well. And so it's just like they have to make some kind of a decision to me. I don't think standing Pat is a great idea. Maybe they could make it to the summer and possibly sign and trade Van Fleet or something like that. But it just, I think they need to make a decision. And my decision, I think, would be to try to just see what you can get for all these guys. And it really would depend on the packages then, uh, exactly what the questioner was asking of like, okay, does it make more sense to go for future assets, two Lakers unprotected first? Or do you try to find a team that actually wants wing help, like, say, the Sixers, like a Memphis or something, and get back guys who can play and still just kind of reshuffle? They have all these combo forward types on the roster already. That's a really tough question. It just depends on what the strengths of those offers were. To bring it back to the Lakers, I mean, like I was saying before, I, I just, I'm not expecting a rush trade at this juncture. I just really don't see it happening. I see the Lakers looking more. I mean, the offers they were kind of canvassing the league around uh, before the Ruby trade and dating back to December was, and, and that package that they originally put on the table for Bojan that we we're talking about at the very top of the show for the protected pick was was Patrick Beverly um, plus Kendrick Nunn. So now that Kendrick Nunn's out the door and uh, DJ asked about Lonnie Walker, I mean. I don't think Lonnie Walker's untouchable with the Lakers, right? If there was an opportunity that they could pounce on that would move their ceiling higher, that um, would allow them to really get better, like I think they put him in the deal, right? But I don't think the Russ and two picks package is getting Toronto's attention right now for OG and Gary Trent. I, I, I think that's a bit far fetched, um, especially being that like Toronto. I don't think would be moving those guys with the idea that they're going to go use getting Russ. Um, and I mean, any team that would take that package is probably looking at Russ as an avenue for cap space next season, right? And I just don't see Toronto. Those seem, those seem like mutually exclusive ideas, right? Where, like, you're, you're rebuilding and moving off of your young players then also go become a player in free agency. Like, that's not really something that I, I totally think that makes sense. I mean, to me, I would do that deal, I think, for Ananobi. <laughs> the two the two unprotected picks. Now, if I could keep Trent out of it and maybe, you know, actually guys along the lines of like a Boucher or a Thaddeus Young might actually help the Lakers too to get a little bit better defensively. But I, I think that I would be trying to keep Trent out of the deal, but I might even still do it, honestly. It's just, again, right, like, what is the point of holding on to Ananobi? It's like, well, we're going to compete right now. They, I don't think there's a path there, Jake. Like, I really don't of just like making the next step with this group. I mean, maybe, maybe, forgive me for saying so, but maybe another coach could be getting more out of these guys. But <laughs> I'm uh, crazy as that is to say about Nick Nurse, who a lot of people have had a lot of respect for. But it's again, it's really tough to figure out the plan because they have these kind of two timelines. They have Barnes. They have all these guys who are kind of the same. So I think if you get that kind of an offer, like Ananobi is a very, very good player, but he's a very, very good player for a team that's ready to win, win right now. Yeah, And I just don't think that there's a pathway to that in the next couple of years for Toronto. All right, Scotty, what's going on? Hey, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Good, good, good. Um, you guys answered a lot of my questions. I'm pretty sure you know I'm going to probably ask uh, a few Raptor questions. But yeah. uh, 
I'll just follow up on just what you guys just uh, said. I just wanted to. I agree that uh, OG Ananobi, like, uh, he's a floor raiser and he probably doesn't really help us. We're not contending right now. But I just want to know, what do you think is, like, a, a fair trade package for OG Ananobi? Because I've been, obviously, seeing these rumors. I don't know. Knicks are giving three picks. Obviously, they're probably not unprotected. But um, do is there a world in which the Toronto Raptors receive three first-round picks for OG Ananobi? Because I would do that right now. Thanks, Scotty. I mean, I think I said this last week with Stein. If the Raptors had a legitimate offer right now that was three first-round picks, like we're moving things forward, that they liked the picks and thought it was equivalent with what they valued OG at, then I think more activity would be happening. I think Toronto would be calling around the league and saying, we've got three first-round picks right now. Come beat this offer. And that that word hasn't gotten out yet. That doesn't mean to say maybe they're keeping it quiet. Maybe they're trying to keep it on their vest. But I think, I mean, I, I, I certainly believe and have been told that New York is interested and they'd be willing to put multiple picks on the table. Um, I just don't, it's... Yeah, so, like New York's, those are technically first-round picks, but they're relatively shitty compared to the picks <laughs> that are being traded. Like you got this, these Detroit and Washington picks where it's like, who knows when the, the heck they're going to go. Like, the, I mean, those either, a couple, both of those picks are maybe like 50-50 to ever go. Maybe the Detroit one will go in like three years. Yeah, you want bonafide picks that you're going to be obtaining and, and the rights are going to be, you know, transferred. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe that that technically is three first-round picks, right? They made the deal for Jang. It's probably the three picks that they got in the Jang deal this offseason. But for me, to answer the question, yeah, that two two unprotected first-round picks signed me up. And I think I I would maybe characterize OG as a little bit differently. I know you're kind of speaking off the cuff. But to me, he's not necessarily a floor raiser. Like, that's kind of like, you know, your... Anthony Simons type of score. I think he's actually a ceiling raiser where you put him on a good team and he doesn't really have any weaknesses. And so he really boosts your playoff ceiling. But I don't think he has as much worth to a team like Toronto that doesn't have that playoff ceiling. Yeah. I think also like value at this stage, I think unequivocally teams would trade two first round picks for Ojanobe. Once you start to move above that threshold, I mean, I think everyone I've spoken to and the word around back at G League Showcase, Nate, back in December, when people started saying, well, it's going to take like a DeJounte Murray type package to get OG, didn't seem like there was a ton of people that were like super excited about paying that price for him. Um, Because, again, because of the idea also, like he's going to have the opportunity to opt out and maybe leave. So um, that's just something to consider, too. Uh, Adrian, what's going on? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. Another Laker question. Sorry, too many Laker questions. Uh, You're good. So, uh, the, based on like the like the, for, the previous reportings, and then the Lakers' hesitancy or not wanting to move off of Russ, does that kind of mean that they've kind of moved on from this season and are just trying to maintain flexibility or or room for for next for the next seasons? No, I, I would. I wouldn't come to that conclusion i think it's more so that a russ has really turned himself into a a positive role player off the bench in in like totality i think the lakers have been generally pleased with 
how he's been an impact player on, on, off the bench. And they, especially when AD comes back, um, that's kind of been a consistent theme. I've heard that they are excited about Russ's ability to at least like prop up AD in non LeBron minutes. But I also think it's like he's, so he's not considered such an albatross contract, although obviously the number is very, very high for the production level. A lot, a lot to paying for someone to come off the bench. But again, to what we were saying earlier, like I think it's as much about what's out there on the table or what's out there to be to, to go and get that is kind of limiting opportunities um, to move Russ. Like they're just, I mean, do you want to trade Russ for Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward? Like that's not something I think, you know, is is worthwhile obviously to the Lakers. So, um, they I mean, they they were this close to doing the the Miles Turner Buddy Hield deal back before the season started and is there anything that's been you know talked about so far that you guys have heard that has um uh you know remotely come close to that type of return i mean sure the raptors you know anything with fred van vliet or gary trent i mean our, our last callers um proposition prop of og and gary but like i poured water on that nate didn't but I just yeah, but well, you know better than me. I mean, like if if that's if that's not something the Raptors would do, it's not something the Raptors would do. Like I I I think it would be fair value personally, but you know better than me about you know what what they actually would do. So I, yeah, I trust I, you on that. That's obviously the big thing about trades, right? And even contracts too. It's it's there's one thing what your value is. It's another what someone's willing to actually pay. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's rare that I will say this about. Uh, Lakers management, who I've not been a fan of over the last few years, but I think since basically last trade deadline, I think Palinka and company have handled this Russ thing perfectly in that you just wait to see what's out there, see if there's a move that's really going to boost you back into championship contention, and otherwise you wait. I'm fine to wait and see what's behind door number two because door number one just isn't going to get you there. That's why I was saying earlier I would be against this idea of using one of the picks to go get a, a just a, a guy who's not going to make the difference for you this season and wait to see if they can do more in the offseason. Um, you know, because with, with Russ, it's just, yeah, he, he hasn't helped them for a lot of this time. I do think his impact this year is maybe a little overstated because he's basically the worst efficiency high volume player in the league other than his passing he doesn't bring much but i think it's they've handled it correctly despite the pressure from the outside and probably the inside to not throw good money after bad in that trade another thing to consider really quickly before we get to jake our next caller um is that Sure, like Danny Ainge in Utah when they were dealing Donovan and Rudy, like they were really valuing picks in the future. But the Lakers picks being so far down the line, obviously with Toronto and Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster's front office having, you know, more than staying power, I would just consider looking looking elsewhere around the league. Sure, those the, um, an unprotected future Lakers pick, to, looking at how this team is currently constructed and their asset cabinet, like it's interesting. But how many executives are absolutely confident they're going to be able to take a player in 2029 with that first round pick is also something I think to consider um, on the receiving end of any type of Lakers Russ idea. Um, so yeah, Jake, what, what can we do for you? Hey guys, uh, just wanted to say, yeah, this is a, a Knicks based question, but um, you know, I'm just curious as 
of course, you've already talked about OG quite a bit, but is there any like pressure regarding the obvious need for up, upgrading the bench? I mean, is there anything else that you've been hearing um, outside of like the OG rumors? Uh, I personally kind of think of like a Josh Richardson as type of an upgrade, but yeah. And then Cam Reddish, I don't know if anything's changed. Thanks, Jake. Wow, I think if Knicks fans woke up on February 10th and Josh Richardson was the big return, that would not be uh, received well by the fan base in the city that I'm currently looking out through my window. Um, But I'll say, like, one name that I'm confident in saying publicly that I've heard New York has had interest in um, and, like, a lower tier behind OG um, has been Malik Beasley. And Gerson Rosas, who obviously played a big role in the negotiations for Donovan Mitchell, um, who's a member of the Knicks front office now, former GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He traded for Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt um, back when he was running the Timberwolves. So I think that connection is something to keep an eye on there, too. Um, I know people have reported Grayson Allen, but um, I think the Knicks kind of have their hands in a, a lot of different cookie jars. Like I'm sure there's a lot of different players I could name, but that's only, that's like a substantive thing I have heard that I can, I can confidently share. Um, I don't know, not too much really to have you analyze on the next. I feel like Nate. I think I uh, think we'll move on to, to Jack. And well, we'll, well quickly. I mean, I think yeah. it's just the, the, their package that they are probably willing to give up to upgrade this year is probably Derek Rose and, something that's not a first. Yes, Rose is definitely available. I think Fournier is another salary that they'd happily be willing to put in to go get someone uh, back in return. Um, Jack, what's up? Hey, Jake and Nate. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Anyway, I'll get to it. So, no, I'm, so I'm, a, I'm a Celtics fan, and so... I mean, I was, you know, they're having a pretty solid half of the first half of the year. You know, you know, that had some up and downs lately. But, you know, the point is they're first in the league right now still. And, you know, I saw your report that they're interested in Jakob Portal along with the Raptors. And while I, I think he's a good player, I certainly think he would be a good Celtics. Like, I'm just like, you know, with Rob and Al already signed, like, and Portal will get a new contract next year. Would the Celtics really like pay like a first round pick and like Peyton Pritchard and someone else really just to get him for a year, or would they really, or could, or could they like you know really think oh maybe we can resign him even even though it would be like have three centers for like you know solid money? I guess if you know anything else about the, what the Celtics are planning, I'd like to hear that also, please. Yeah, thanks, Jack. I, um, I've heard that the Celtics have Jakubertel interest from other people, and then when I've asked Celtics people, they have not really like they like Jakubertel, but I think the idea of trading for him ahead of his free agency where he wants to get 20 north of 20 million in free agency as well, where they have Robert Williams, who's one of the best defensive centers in the league making half that. It just doesn't seem like a, like a real value proposition for Boston. I, I do not expect them to actually be a player in acquiring him. Um, especially how, I mean, the Malcolm Brogdon addition has been, beneficial but like the ripple effect of getting him has been pushing Peyton Pritchard out of the rotation and I, I just don't know how much of a of a ramp there is for that to actually occur in terms of getting Yaka Pirtle at a higher salary number that would definitely impact Robert Williams's minutes obviously he's got injury concerns and Al Horford's age is, is getting up there and you know who knows what 
Pertle could provide in terms of like a future play, but I just don't think financially it, it really seems to be in the cards for Boston. Yeah, to me, I don't really understand it from that same perspective. I think Pertle is a good player, but contractually really hard to see how he fits in if he's really getting this $20 million going forward, although I got a little skepticism on that. Generally, when that reporting comes out, it turns out to be accurate, but I'm also kind of wondering who that team is other than his incumbent team that's going to push the bidding up that high. But he's he's obviously turned down that four for 58, so he thinks he's getting close to $20 million. Yeah, for Boston, the only way John Hollinger, my podcast partner, said this, the way that this makes sense is they have really severe concerns about Robert Williams' possible availability and that they just feel like they need some more size. But it kind of, it really would just be like a a this year move. And maybe once Horford is, got, if he's really on the decline, then you hold on. But even like having both Pirtle and Williams seems like overkill. I think they're just, I don't know why I would be giving up a, a, enough to get Jakob Pirtle at this point if I'm the Celtics. All right, Corn, how we doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you guys for having me. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. All right. Um, so, I mean, you can tell I'm a Hawks fan. Um, very frustrating to do so. But uh, I just <laughs> wanted to know, um, the whole thing with John, It's uh, it always seems like he's going to get traded and then he's not going to get traded. And then he's going to get traded, but the asking price is way low. And it's really frustrating to see that because I love John. I don't want us to just throw him away. And I think reports have said otherwise. Um, but also another one is that Bogey has – recently like uh, attracted some attraction i mean i wonder what your opinion is on that um and yeah i mean i'm wondering if they'll do anything because it's very frustrating <laughs> to watch <laughs> so i mean they're certainly motivated and they've been one of the most active teams uh dating back you know since before december 15th so uh, i am expecting atlanta to do something they've never been trigger shot right i mean they go and get to jante they go um, and trade Kevin Herter to uh, deal with tax implications of forgetting DeJounte. The John stuff, you know, I – it's hard to, like, guarantee he's going to get dealt, just like you said, because he's been available and hasn't been moved at so many transaction cycles previously. I don't – I have not heard, like, the asking price is, like, dramatically lowered. I've kind of been saying what, what I think – is being reflected by that type of sentiment for a while and that they're not just looking to move him to move him for anything, but they want something of value in return. And if like a first round pick is not available or any type of draft capital that's going to move them isn't available, like, yeah, they want contributing players back. They want more of a, uh, of a congruent fit next to the other pieces that they have involved. So with Bogdanovich, I mean, there's one concept that i heard today that i don't want to say yet because i haven't gotten it confirmed but like yes there are absolutely teams who would uh, who would love to find you know wing shooting wing playmaking um and he him having a player option next season um is you know very similar obviously to the gary trent fred van vliet ojan nobody situation in toronto and other situations previously um and just any player that could potentially test free agency uh, depending on their situation. If he's showcasing signs of not wanting to return, obviously the team would have interest in moving him as opposed to losing him for nothing. Um, so 
he's a name I think will start to pop up a little bit more here. And I look forward to being able to bring like confirmed suitors for him. Um, but at this point, I also think the Hawks aren't going to just do something to do something. Cause I mean, a lot of teams won't being that you can just make your changes in the off season. A lot of times trade deadline chatter that happens and frameworks that come together end up not moving now. And they really end up just setting the table for things to happen this summer. Um, and that could be the case for Atlanta too. It really could. Yeah, Collins to me, I think there's a lot of buyer beware at this point. I think if you're Atlanta, you're kind of pushing this idea that oh, you know, our situation hasn't been the best mix, and you know that's why he's not playing well. But like, is he so annoyed at his lack of role that he's intentionally missing three pointers and shooting 26 percent from downtown this year? He's averaging 13.5 points. And having basically the least efficient season of his career, the lowest usage season of his career at age 25. And then, so you throw in that he just hasn't, I mean, that's your problem number one, is he just hasn't had the same production that he's had before. So you got to get to the bottom of that if you're scouting and there's talk maybe this finger injury that he had last year is messing up his shot or something. So, like, why has he been so much less aggressive? Why doesn't he hit the offensive glass anymore? Why... Why has he just not been as good this year? And then you throw in the other issue since time immemorial at the trade deadline is, hey, we have this big who produced a lot of points and rebounds. Oh, I know. We'll trade him for someone on the wing, right? We'll just, but wing players are more valuable, particularly a guy like Collins who doesn't have a lot of defensive versatility, can't play center really. So that's why you run into this situation where there just aren't that many suitors who want to bring him in and then, even fewer suitors, like maybe the Pacers have been a name that's been mentioned for him. They don't have a wing to send back to Atlanta that Atlanta is going to really want. So I, it's, yeah, I, my prediction is he doesn't get dealt. There, there just isn't, he's a hard guy to trade. And I think if they do end up moving him or if they do end up making any significant moves, I would certainly look out uh, for it to be with a focus towards defense. That, that's something that I think remains true. Um, I'm sorry to everyone else in the queue, but Gio's going to have to be our last question. Um, i got to kind of cap this more around 45 minutes today than an hour. Um, so, Gio, ask away. Everyone else will be back on Friday afternoon. Um, I have a guest lined up, but I don't want to announce them yet just because I don't have that confirmed. Um, but we'll be obviously talking trade deadline. And can, can, you, can you confirm something for once here? Come on. <laughs> Gio, yeah, we're, we're trying to be responsible as always. Gio, no, you're, you're you're one of the best at confirming things. I I I, uh, I appreciate that responsibility. Thank you, man. So Thank yeah, you. so why haven't we heard um like OG to the grid? Because of all the teams who have the assets, if you trade Dillian Briggs for OG, that that team gets a way much better. Than what it is now, and they have the asset to do so, and they should, in my opinion. Yeah, look, Memphis and OG has been something that pretty much anyone you could talk to around the league will say they should do it, and they've got the ability to do it, and they've got pieces that would, in theory, make Toronto interested. However, the Grizzlies have been super reticent under Zach Lyman to do something that significantly shakes up their roster. And 
especially when it sends out homegrown talent that they, you know, they very, very much value their culture and this being such an organic homegrown institution. And, you know, the moments that they have done it, you know, moving DeAnthony Melton before he you know, is expected to command a payday of his own in coming free agencies, like, hasn't exactly benefited Memphis so far this year, and he's playing fantastic in Philadelphia. There's definitely a thought I've heard from team folks about, you know, maybe trading Melton like that will make them, you know, clutch their cards a little bit tighter before actually going and doing something. But the fact that OG would seem to be such a hand-in-glove fit uh, for this team, um, I think it's that, that idea, that boogeyman of Memphis getting him, especially with how well they have played in the regular season for the last couple of years. And they've, you know, established themselves as a scary threat for the West. We'll see what they actually look like come postseason time. Um, it's, it's certainly a factor out there. But also, I would consider the fact with Memphis, like another reason for their, their potential uh, pause for doing so is the thought that OG would be, amenable certainly to a larger offensive role than he has in Toronto where he's at present like the fourth option right behind Fred and behind Pascal and behind Scotty. Memphis is going to have Ja, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson Jr. That's their core three right now. Those are the guys that are untouchable. Would adding him to be the fourth guy to that mix um, would that before he could just opt out and test free agency just like he can in Toronto would that really be worth the gamble of putting all that capital that the, that the Grizzlies have been saving? They've been holding on to these picks. Everyone's been saying Memphis should make trades for two years now. Um, I, I just, I will believe they're willing to actually fork up that capital for OG when I see it. I'm not saying that it won't happen, um, but there's far more reason and far more data that I've collected that would suggest they wouldn't be willing to do that, then they would. Nate, do you think it would be worth it for them? I'm assuming your answer is yes. Well, obviously, it depends on what the price is. but yeah, And there was an opportunity cost there. I also, another piece of data that I don't have access to, I know that Robert Pira has done very well recently, but you don't know what the appetite is for paying the tax eventually, which at least for one year, you would probably have to do the year that Bain's extension kicks in but i mean to get him for two playoffs if say the price and i would try to hold on to dylan brooks if it were danny green zaire williams not sure how toronto would value him necessarily and then maybe two of your own first or one of your first in the golden state that's probably the furthest i'd be willing to go but like this team they need more guys on this team like who do you fully trust against any matchup for this Memphis team in the playoffs. You, you got Ja, Bain, Jaron, but he only plays 27 minutes a game because he's in foul trouble. And the rest of their guys are kind of situational. Brooks, it's nice to have, but he can shoot you out of games really easily. You know, we can go down their list and it's like, you really want to count on this this guy against Denver? Or you really want to count on this guy against Golden State or against the Clippers? Or uh, So I think just getting that one more rock-solid guy in there and I mean, you just got to deal with that risk potentially and uh, now if you're just straight up hey we're not willing to pay him market value two years from now okay then don't make the deal but i think the last thing i would say about them is i don't know if 
John Morant's going to be one of these guys where the window is when he's 28. I think the window is closer to now with his style of play, the injury risk, uh, his otherworldly athleticism. I would again, I would be pushing in now rather than later, and particularly because you're always going to be good. It's like these picks are going to end up in the 20s. Like it, it, that doesn't ultimately move the needle that much. Like you can get contributors on a year-to-year basis who can approximate that. I would agree that their picks are not exactly. Uh, you know, something that's going to get another team super excited about where they could fall. Um, all right, Nate, thank you so much, man. Anything you want to plug, anything you want to share, any other final thoughts before you get out of here? Well, I know these are the nerds of the nerds on here listening to this, and hopefully we'll get more on the actual podcast uh, afterwards. But please uh, consider my service, Dunktown Prime. we got John Hollinger. we got Seth Partnow writing. John and I record once a week. We got that mock trade deadline up that I think everyone listening to this would really enjoy. So link to that is in my bio. And if it's uh, something that you can't swing price-wise, we do actually have reduced pricing for people in uh, special financial circumstances. So that's all in the tweet that's linked at the top of my bio on Twitter, at Nate Duncan NBA. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll be back on Friday. I should have a couple stories before that. And... We have a bunch of games on lock tonight and tomorrow. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the rumors. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Nate.